So what show is that from? Golden Girls, right? Anybody seen Golden Girls? Golden Girls? Okay, some of you don't want to admit it. I can see that, right? <laughs> hey, Golden Girls was one of the big hits of the 80s, right? About these four uh, ladies in their golden years and all the antics of them and the highs and the lows and all that kind of stuff. And we are intrigued as a society, as a people, with uh, situations involving friends because we have friends and we know what friendships are like and we know some of the challenges of those. Uh, the 80s was the Golden Girls, uh, the 90s was a different show uh, about three guys and three gals that were in apartments in New York. Somebody know the name of that, that show? Friends, right? Friends ran for 10 years uh, and it's all about those relationships between the six of them and the craziness of that and America, people are intrigued with other people's lives. And uh, we want to look in, and we, we, we relate to that. We relate to their struggles. We relate to their pain. We relate to their challenges. And so that was the uh, show of the 90s. It started in 2000, and, or ni- uh, 19, uh, no, it started in 2094, thank you very much. started in 94 and went to 2004. And then three years later, another show came out about some guys that were nerdy and uh, a woman across the hall that was an aspiring uh, actress that was a waitress. What was the name of that show? Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory went for 12 years and just retired in May of this year. And again, one of the highest grossing shows that people watch. And it's about not the nerds. It's about their friendships, right? It's about the friendships of those nerds with, other, with themselves and with other people as well. It's a reminder to us that we are made to be in relationship uh, with other people. Uh, the Bible says that we are wired to be in relationship with God. Uh, and part of the reason we know that is because we believe that uh, every person who's ever lived has got a God-shaped hole in them that only Jesus can fill, right? And you can search, you can look, you can try to find other ways to fill that emptiness, but the only way to find the fulfillment for that emptiness is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Uh, and so we know that we're wired to be in relationship with God, but we're also wired to be in relationship with other people. That's why we like those shows about friends and friendships and all that kind of stuff. And unless you need uh, uh, another illustration, think about it this way. When you think about some of the greatest challenges in your life, they more than likely have to do with relationships with other people. They more than likely have to do with brokenness with other people. Uh, the, the periods of sadness and pain that we have that are greatest in our lives have to do with broken relationships. And, and it's just a way of reminding us that, that we are wired, we are made to be in relationship with one another. So starting today and for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of friendship, this concept of friendship, and we're going to be thinking about what it means to be a friend. And part of the reason this is so important is because we are living in a post-Christian period. Now, when I say that, many of you are aware of what that means, but let me clarify it for you. In these United States, there was a day, that day no longer exists, when most people understood what it meant to be a Christian. In fact, most people attended a church or or had some affiliation with a church. But as I said, that day is gone. And the assumptions 
that we make about life and about how to live our lives from a Christian perspective can no longer be carried into our society by the multitudes because the, there is an increasing number of people who are skeptical of Christians and Christianity. And these people who have never been in a church or maybe never really had a conversation with a Christian, they have thoughts about us, those who are Christians, and the two top things that they say about us, that these unchurched people say about us, is that we are judgmental and we are hypocritical. So if we're going to help them see Christianity differently, we have to get closer to them so they can see the real us. Now for some of you, even as that came out of my mouth, you might be thinking, well, you've got to be crazy, Frank. If they get closer to me, they're going to see the real me and then they won't have anything to do with Christianity. But that's my point. People need to see the real you, the real me, because only then will they begin to realize that we recognize that we are frail just like them, that we have frailties just like them, that we have hurts just like them. But the biggest difference between a Christian and an unchurched person is that the Christian has the power of the Holy Spirit and the risen Christ to give them purpose for their lives and to lead them in the direction that their lives need to go. So the God in you has everything to do with you helping our society know that Jesus is alive. That God in you is what's going to get somebody's attention to help them begin to wrestle with whether even God exists or not. Because if we are truly following Jesus, like we like to say we are, we would expect that if we are truly followers of Jesus, that he's going to change how we speak, how we act, how we engage with other people. And before you start putting pressure on yourself to thinking that, okay, Frank's put a big bar up here. He's, he's trying to tell all of us that we got to be perfect today. Before you go down that road thinking that you got to be the next Mother Teresa, please let me get you off the hook and say, no, that's not what this is about. It's not about trying to say you've got to live some kind of perfect life. We want an, unperson to, uh, an unchurched person to know that the Christian person is just a real person who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We want them to get a glimpse of Jesus in us, and once they, once they get a glimpse of Jesus, Jesus begins to work on them. Think about this. In John chapter 12, Jesus said before he ascended, before he left, he said, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. Jesus, hanging on the cross, when he was lifted up on the cross, he's proclaiming to us that he is going to draw people to himself. And that Jesus, when he rose from the dead three days later, let the church say amen. When he rose three days later, Jesus said, I'm going to draw them to me. And when he ascended into heaven and disappeared from sight, he wants us to understand that our job is to give people a glimpse of Jesus and that when they get a glimpse of Jesus through us, then Jesus begins to draw them to him. I want you today to grapple with this issue of letting Jesus see, letting people see Jesus in you so that others might get a glimpse of Jesus, so that Jesus might draw them to him. However, we need to be aware that for 
people to get Jesus, to find Jesus, they need to not just get a glimpse of Jesus in us. They need to get a regular dose of Jesus through us. And that has to do with seeing all people as our neighbors. In the 12th chapter of Mark, we find Jesus teaching people. And among them are some of the religious leaders of the day, the educated of the day. And these leaders are beginning to question Jesus. Now, by the way, they are impressed with Jesus because he's so astute, so able to talk so well. But they formulate, one of them does, a question. Asking Jesus the question about all the commandments, all the laws. And you understand, it was a trick question because he was trying to trick Jesus into lifting up one law out of all of the laws that are there. And listen to what it says in Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. One of the legal experts heard their dispute and saw how well Jesus answered them. He came over and asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus replied, the most important one is Israel. Listen, our God is the one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you will love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, many of you would understand and you would say, if I asked you, what, what is that referred to as? That's referred to as the great commandment. When you hear people say, reference to the great commandment, this is it, where Jesus says, love God, love your neighbor. And in Matthew, in the 22nd chapter of Matthew, Matthew adds this additional sentence from Jesus. It says, Jesus speaking, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, all of the law, all of the rules that they had, that the Jews had, were summarized in those two. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. The learned guy tries to trick Jesus, and then he asks him afterwards, he says, well then, who is my neighbor? And he goes on, Jesus does, to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to be talking about that next week. So I hope you'll be back next week. So let's do a little defining for a moment, because as I grappled with this issue of friendship today, I became aware that there are a lot of misunderstandings or maybe not, not a lot of clarity about some of the nuances of what it means to be a friend. We understand in our society that technically, if you were to ask who your neighbors were, that that would be a reference to the people that live just around you. We, we get that. They may live next door or down the street or in our subdivision, but when we say, who's your neighbor, we often, most often think about the people that live just around us. Dictionary.com defines neighbor as a person who lives near another. A person who lives near another. And that would confirm our understanding, our general understanding that this is what it means to be a neighbor, that somebody lives nearby you. So when Jesus teaches us about loving our neighbor as ourselves, we must remember that in the Middle East of Jesus' day, people lived in small rural communities. So that when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, the people who heard it would have understood that, that he's speaking about all the people in my little town, all the people in my little community. I'm supposed to love them. It was the way their society worked. That, that they lived in these small rural areas. But we, 
in our society today get hung up with this idea that my neighbor is the eight or ten people that live around me. And that then gives us the right to, to essentially blow off everybody else. I don't care about anybody else. I'm supposed to care about those eight or ten people that are living around me. And so when we go to the grocery store, we walk down the aisles, and if we see someone we don't know, we don't pay them any attention, or we pay them little attention. In fact, if I go into the grocery store, I try to put blinders on because my goal is to get in and get out as quick as I can. I don't really want to talk to anybody. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to talking to somebody in the grocery store, but I am trying to say that, that for many of us, we're in there, and, and we're oblivious to the other people that are there. We want to get in, and we want to get out. But if you're walking down the aisle at the grocery store and you see somebody that you know, your attitude changes, does it not? My attitude changes. If I see somebody I know, I recognize them, I say hi to them, I celebrate with them, we stop, we chat, we figure out what's going on with life, and then we go on our way. If everybody in the store was somebody that we knew, wouldn't we treat everybody in the store differently if we knew them? Or what about our workplace? Or what about at the movie theater or at the gas station, wherever you go, what if you looked at every single person that you saw, every person that you will see today, what if you looked at them and you saw them as truly a neighbor, somebody that Jesus has called you to love on, to invest in? It is exactly what Jesus is asking us to do. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he was in essence saying, love them like you want to be loved, beginning with the person, the next person that you meet. Be friendly to those people. Being friendly is the starting place for a friendship. And dictionary.com says friendly means characteristic of or befitting a friend. Now, think about that a minute. It's a little bit Short, characteristic of or befitting a friend, a characteristic of a friend or befitting a friend. And that leads us to the last definition, which is the definition of a friend from dictionary.com. It says a person attached to another by feelings of affection or personal regard. So if we're being friendly, we're acting, even though we don't know them, as though they were our friends. Do you see how that changes the way You respond to people and look at people and act toward people every day? So let me ask you, does Jesus have feelings of affection or personal regard for you? I would hope you would say, yeah. Yeah, Jesus has feelings of personal affection or personal regard for me because Jesus died on the cross for me. That's the definition of great quantity of love. When he died for me, he had He demonstrated those feelings he has for me. And Jesus is saying to us, I treated you not with just affection or personal regard. I gave my life for you because you are my most cherished relationship. You, you, you are the most cherished relationship that God has. You are individually. That's part of the a beauty and amazement of God. And if Jesus treats us as his greatest prize, shouldn't we be treating other people in the same way? Think of it this way. 
Everybody in this room has acquaintances, people that we know their faces, maybe the grocery store clerk, right? We see that clerk regularly and we acknowledge them. We haven't had much of a conversation with them. We may talk about the weather with them, whatever, but we see them and we recognize them and we acknowledge them. Those are acquaintances. You go to a little bit deeper level and you'd say, well, then, though, then we move into the area of friendship. A friend is somebody that is more than an acquaintance, right? A friend is somebody that maybe we work with, somebody maybe that lives near us, somebody that maybe we go to church with or are part of a church with. Uh, these are people that we may have a class with. These are, these are people that we consider friends. And then the next category beyond acquaintance and friend is a close friend. And if I were to ask you to name your close friends, you would maybe name off three or four or five, or maybe, maybe if you're fortunate, you'd have a, maybe even ten uh, people that you consider very close to you. But the, these are all people that, that love you, the, the, the close friend is, and, and, and love you deeply. So what does all this neighbor-friendly friend conversation have to do with what Jesus said about loving your neighbor as yourself. Just this. Jesus was trying to communicate to us that we should look at, we should treat every person that we meet with the attitude of being a friend. Because the attitude of being a friend is the beginnings of a relationship. Jesus is not saying you need to be friends with everybody you meet. No, I don't believe that's what he's saying at all. Or he's not saying you need to be close friends with everybody you need, that you meet. But he is saying that we must treat everybody as though they were a friend. We must have this kind of attitude. And that's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Because don't you, when you see somebody that you know, don't you want to be greeted warmly by them? Don't you want to be be greeted with people that are friendly toward you. And Jesus is saying we should have this friendly attitude toward every person that we meet because every person that we meet is somebody who, die, who Jesus died for. That's why here at Lighthouse we say every person matters because every person matters to God. And if they matter to God, then they need to matter to us as well. So Jesus treated you and me as his greatest prize. He died to demonstrate how prized we are. Jesus died to show you, to show me, how prized we are in God's eyes. But he didn't just die for me or for you. He died for the whole world because he wants the whole world to know him. Listen to how it says it in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. We are the prize of Jesus. He purchased our freedom with his life. And we receive that life when we invite him in. And if you have not ever invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then I want to ask you today to make that decision. There's no finer decision you can ever make in your entire life than to become a follower of Jesus. 
And following Jesus is really begins in a simple thing because it's a, it's a way of acknowledging, God, I've made a wreck of my life. God, I, I've tried every direction that I've tried to find to figure out how to live this life, but I can't find my way. Would you please come into my heart and lead my life? That is what it means to be a Christian, asking Jesus to lead our lives. And if we are the prize of God, then we should look at every person that we meet as the prize of God too. Think about the images in this uh, collage uh, this morning. I want you to look at every single one of those pictures and invite you to think about if any of those images make you uncomfortable because of your preconceived notion about the value of a person based on how they look. Do you hear what I'm asking? When you look at those images on that slide, are there people there that make you uncomfortable just because of the way they look? When we view them as the prize of God, each person, then we treat them in the way that we're supposed to treat them as followers of Jesus. Think about how Jesus lived his life. He pursued friendships with people that were different than he was, different lifestyles. He treated them friendly, as we should a neighbor, but he didn't stop there. He became friends with them. He went to dinner with them. He went to their homes. He hung out with them. He traveled with them. People that society in that day looked at as people that you shouldn't associate with, Jesus was associating, hanging out with, developing relationships with those kind of people. And it was this scandalous behavior that bothered most of the religious people of that day. Because the religious people, uh, we know it from what the Bible tells us, religious people looked at Jesus and said, what are you doing? Hanging out with irreputable people. And yet Jesus made it very clear that those are the people that he needed to spend time with. And let's just be honest today, friends. If it's good enough for Jesus, it ought to be good enough for us. Should it not? That we would be investing in people that, that, that look differently, that act differently than we do, rather than just uh, filling ourselves with people who are like us? It scandalizes the, the religious leaders of that day, and it can scandalize people in the church today as well. Maybe, maybe there's a person of questionable character, of questionable character that lives down the street from you or that you work with. And, and what if you decided you're going to be friendly to them? And what if you decided you're going to go to the extra mile and you're going to even try to develop a relationship with them? What if you decide you're going to ask them out to dinner even though they are a questionable person? And let me ask you, what would the other people in your workplace or what would the other people in your neighborhood say about you engaging in that activity? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they kind of look down their noses a little bit? Wouldn't they? Well, what are they doing? What is, what is he doing going out with that person? What are they hanging around with that person for? And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. What if a friend of yours decided you were going to go to a local bar each week for the purpose of hanging out in the bar to develop some friendships with people in the bar? And, and another one of your friends called you up and said, hey, uh, let's go out to dinner on Friday night. And you say, oh, I'm sorry, I have a prior engagement. And they say, well, what are you doing? Well, what do you mean prior engagement? Well, I have a standing appointment every Friday night that I go to this bar with, with Dan every Friday night. And, 
And what is the person on the other end of the phone going to think when they hear that from your lips? You're, gonna, you're going to a bar every Friday night? Oh, it sounds to me like maybe you have a drinking problem, right? When was the last time you hung out with someone that you might consider having a questionable character? When was the last time you had someone who is of a different ethnicity or different political persuasion or who doesn't share your value system over for dinner? Too often we pursue friendships with people living far from God and we look at them as a project. Oh, this is my project. I got to go serve this person because we're wanting to get them closer to God. But in order to do that, we have to see people not as projects, but as a prize, the prize of God, because they are the prize of God in God's eyes. And if we see them as a prize, if we look at somebody as though they are a prize, then we're going to behave differently toward them. So I want to go across the world as I begin to wrap it up this morning. We're going to go to Thailand, and we're going to watch a a video about a 17-year-old girl that I believe gets this about treating people as the prize of God. Let's watch and listen. My name is Paul. I'm 17 years old. For a long time, I've collected nail polish. I like nail painting. One day, my friends and I wondered if we could use nail painting to share our faith with others. It might sound strange, but I believe God can use what we like to do for His purpose. for people to come people just keep walking past they're afraid to come sit down I feel like so awkward but eventually girls show up they'll ask why is it free And so I say, we are doing it for fun and just want to make new friends. We want a real relationship with them. So we talk to them with love first. It's difficult to trust someone you've met for the first time. Even though we don't know them, we love them and wish they would fight God. We come out here because we hope they'll see our lives are different from others. 
different from people who haven't met God. I don't care if people say 17 is too young. I don't know how much time God gives me, so I just do what I can. I spend my life on others as much as I can. That will be enough. I think Poor uh, said some profound things in that video. Let me share a couple of them with you. She says, God can use what we like to do for his purpose. Be aware that the things that you like to do, there's likely other people that like to do the same kinds of things. And if you go hang out with people that like to do the same kinds of things, it's an opportunity for you to see them as the prize and to love on them and help them get a glimpse of Jesus. She said, we want a real relationship with them so that we talk to them with love first. Isn't that great? We talk to them with love first. It's the whole idea of being friendly. It's the whole idea of loving them as your, your neighbor as yourself. She says, even though we don't know them, we love them and wish they would find God. I want to be friendly to every person because my hope is that they will find God. And she says, we want them to see that our lives are different from others because pe different from people who haven't met God. If somebody looks at your life, can they see that you're different from other people? And then near the end, she says, I don't know how much time God gives me, so I do what I can. I spend my life on others as much as I can. That will be enough. That will be enough. Friends, please understand that I believe that what God is calling us to do is, is to, to recognize that we've got to have a different attitude than we've had in the past. We have to have the attitude of love toward every single person that we meet. This world is in a, is in, is in, is in a world of hurt. The, the shooting over in El Paso yesterday, 20 people killed. The shooting overnight at the bar up in Ohio or wherever it was, another nine people killed. Uh, folks, our world is struggling. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to throw a platitude out to say that if you just love on somebody, that's going to change the world. I believe it will. It's not a platitude. It's reality. The way that we love on people infects our society affects our society, impacts our world in ways that we can't even begin to understand. Amen. Let us be those kind of neighbors. Let us keep our eyes on the prize because they are the prize of God. You are the prize of God. Kelly and Jay are going to sing a song right now that may be new to you. It's called Pour Me Out. And it really, it really is a embodiment of what I'm trying to convey to you, what I believe the Bible is trying to convey to us today about being poured out on the lives of other people around us every day. It says in the verses, make me a vessel of your peace. Make me a vessel of your love. Make me a vessel of your hope, the song says. And the chorus says, pour me out, pour me out, pour me out wherever I am, wherever I go. 
And it goes on to say, like a rushing river, let mercy flow through my heart to my world. As they sing, it is my prayer that you would take a moment to ponder what does it truly mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it truly mean to love my neighbor as myself? To have the attitude of a loving neighbor to everybody that we meet. Keep your eye on the prize. Pour me out.